0: Hey, guys, can we give our teenagers and Sam and these guys one more round of applause? That was incredible. Yeah. Man, praise God. I'm not even sure if I need to get up. I think we can just pray and go home after seeing that. Christopher, thank you for putting that together. Students, thank you for going. And Riverside, thank you for sending. Thank you for being a believing church, a praying church, a generous church, a giving church. Uh, It's just such an incredible thing for us to, uh, to get to see how God Continues to work in the life of this church and in the lives of our students, and I'm—I know I'm—I'm saying this for all of us. I'm praising God for that this morning. I want to ask you as we begin a new series today a real simple question. At least I think it's simple. What's the truest thing about you? What is the truest thing about you? Uh, we're, We're going to begin a new series today. It's called "This Is Us." Maybe you saw. The TV show that dropped last fall uh, by the same name. It's the story of a family, and this family, like every family, is a family that is complicated, uh, there's problems. Um, the marriage, more than one time, is on the rocks. Uh, the kids have their own difficulties. And as you see, scene after scene unfold of their problems, of their life unfold before you, you begin to feel what they feel and experience what they experience. And, and you identify with that because it sort of tells a story of what life is like with real people who are living with real problems trying to make it in this world. And it raises a question uh, for us, how do we do that? How do we do that? You know, I think there's something in all of us that longs for that we long for something authentic we long for something that's that's real we're tired of fake we're tired of pretend we're tired of pretending And we want something that's real. And if you think about it, that's how the church began some 2,000 years ago. It began when Jesus came, lived, died, rose again, ascended to heaven. And then these first followers of Jesus, they saw all this and their lives were changed by this. And they started to meet every Sunday like we meet on this Sunday. Because this was the day that Jesus rose from the grave. And now they're trying to figure out how to do life as real people living in a world with real problems. But for the very first time, believing not just in a real God, but believing in Jesus, Uh, believing in in the Son of God, the one who came from God, who rose again, who ascended to heaven, who is reigning in heaven and reigning in our lives. And how do we do life like that? And it's a big question. And then you roll the tape forward some 2,000 years and we gather this morning and as you walked in the doors, you probably did like I did. You probably asked five, ten people, hey, how you doing? And their answer was, fine. And my guess is that at least one of those people you talk to weren't doing fine. But we've created a culture, a church culture especially, where the expectation is when you walk in the door that you have it all together. And you know, like I do, the reality is we just don't. And so what I want us to do for the next few weeks it's just be honest about that. Can we do that? And say, this is us. We are real people with real problems. We're far from perfect. We don't have it all together. We're trying to follow Jesus. And together we gather in this place every week because we love each other and we love God and we're striving in our journey to become more like him in all that we do. But don't think for a moment that I got it figured out. <laughs> and I'll do you a favor and I won't for a moment think you have it figured out either. But together, I believe that God can do something in this place and in our hearts. And that's what we're going for. That's what we're going for. And what I'd like to do each week is is bring up a real person. Somebody asked me, are you going to be showing clips from the the show This Is Us? And I was like, no. (laughs) I could do that, but you can watch that later. What I'd rather do is bring up real people in our church family to share part of their life and part of their heart and part of their story with us Because this is us. This is who we are. And I want us to, I really want us to do three things as we do this each week. One is I want us to really learn to listen. Listen to each other and listen to each other's stories. Two, I want us to remember that whether you've been a member here for 30, 40, 50 years, whether you've been a member here for two years or two weeks, whether you've been visiting for the last few weeks and you're not sure yet, you're still kicking the tires, I want you to listen and lean in and remember that all of us are real people with real problems and we don't have it all figured out. And third, I want us to see the difference that Jesus makes. I want us to see the difference that Jesus makes. So this morning, I want to invite my friend, Mayetta Morgan. If you would, Mayetta, come on up to the stage. Let me grab us a couple of stools here. Uh, if you don't know Mayetta, she placed membership here a few months ago, and she has quickly become one of my favorite people on the planet. So if you would, welcome Mayetta to the stage. Let me Woo! There you go, Thank you. Uh, good morning, yeah, good morning. If you were here a few weeks ago during our Psalm series, you may have heard Mayetta read Psalm 24, and I think she could read the phone book and we would be inspired. She has a beautiful accent, and uh, I'm excited for you to hear her talk—not just talk, but talk about God today <sighs> and talk to Mayetta. Tell us, uh, tell the church a little bit about maybe yourself and how you came to Riverside. I think it's a really good story because. When I first met you, you were like, oh, I've known you for a long time, even though we had never met. But I'll let you tell the story.
1: um, I am from Guyana. I was born in a little town in Guyana. It's called Ogle Estate. My dad was a laborer on this estate. And um, we moved from Ogle to the city because my, my father found a, a better pain laborer's job in the city. Um, I grew up there. I went to high school there. I was born when Guyana was still a colony of the British Empire. So there were lots of values of discrimination. And so my concept of who I am, of the world, even of God, was very distorted. It was a very warped concept. Of God, but it was a Christian family. I grew up in a Christian family in a Christian church, and that church was founded by John Nelson Darby. John Nelson Darby was a nineteenth-century priest, former Anglican priest, who was had become a part of what might be considered the Restoration Movement. And that movement was called um, the church I attended was called the exclusive brethren. It was exclusive, and we did have an acapella. We were not allowed to have instruments. So this is um, this this is um, familiar territory for me, (laughs) Kevin, and uh, that. Um, was it, it, we had to follow very strict rules. It was kind of legalistic. But when I was about age of 10, I was taking the Lord's Supper and the thought was about examining yourself. And after the Lord's Supper, I went to the toilet at that meeting room and I asked the Lord to help me to be a good girl when I take the Lord's Supper. And I became very convicted from age 10 about my walk with the Lord. Then that movement left Guyana, and there was a break away from that movement called the Open Brethren. And it was similar, it just allowed some liberty. And our family became a member of the Open Brethren. And then when I went to Venezuela some 25 years ago, prior to that, I heard my dad mention the Christian Church, Church of Christ. And so when I went to Venezuela, I, even though I was sort of disillusioned with the exclusive brethren, I still liked some of the structure. So I, once I heard of the Christian Church, I became a member of the, the Christian Church, in caracas venezuela and from there i was given the opportunity to study at lincoln christian college and that's in now it's it's called lincoln christian university that's in lincoln illinois and there i obtained a degree in business administration i initially wanted to study education with the help of becoming a missionary. Uh, that, that, that plan did not go through, so I had to study um, um, business administration. Then I went back to the, I'm trying to give you the short version. <laughs> the, <laughs> then I went back to Caracas and went back into ESL. I taught English as a second language. There, while studying English, teaching English as as a second language, I I allowed the questions, all the questions I had accumulated over my life, about my faith and about Christ and about the body of Christ, I allowed them to emerge. And I had the tool of the English language, the grammar, and the use of context to... The use of context to study. And I started to study the scriptures. And what stood out to me was John 10.10. I'm telling that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Mm -hmm. And that impacted me because I was accustomed to living to rules and sort of legalism. And I got rid of the rules in pursuit. I started to shadow Jesus, so to speak. And from he was a nice guy. (laughs) (laughs) He was a really, really nice guy. And I liked him. I started to like him more than love him. And as I got to know him, the golden rule impacted my life. Love God with all your heart. Love others like you love yourself. And I discovered I didn't love myself. So how do I love you? Yeah. How do I love God? If I don't love myself, I don't love you. And so I started, that became the goal of my life, to love. And I wondered what, was, what love meant. And I turned to the scriptures because now this guy is nice. Jesus is really a cute guy. I like him. And so the Apostle Paul gave me the definition of love, First Corinthians 13. And as a teacher, I'm prone to consult the dictionary. So the definitions, I looked at each word, and I realized some of that was not in my life. And so I turned to Jesus, this nice guy, to help me to love, to teach me what it means to love. And so, now how did I come to this body of believers? I was looking in line for a a Christian church, Church of Christ, because at Lincoln Christian University we were taught Christian Church, Church of Christ are all from Alexander Campbell. So I was looking, either one would be fine with me, and I found this church. And I don't know, but I was attracted And then I thought I'd come. And then I looked in line and I met Corey. (laughs) I saw him preaching the Christmas sermon. And I I thought, this was good. These people seem to follow the Lord. And I came and I got got hooked. And that's where I am.
0: (laughs) Isn't that amazing? (laughs) Amazing story. (laughs) one of the things I wanted you to talk about, Maya, because you've, uh, you know, um, I think you can speak to this. What, what do you do when you face difficult seasons in your own life?
1: It depends on the season. It depends on the problem. Some, problem, some difficult seasons, I feel like a wounded soldier. I can handle this. pray, and I, I have easy answers sometimes. Mm-hmm. But then there are situations in my life where I'm totally, totally impotent. No intellect, no past experience can help me. I try to to study the scriptures, and I seem not to get clarity. I try to speak to those who have more knowledge than I, and they don't seem to have clarity. I pray, and I don't seem to have clarity. Mm. And so what do I do? Psalm 121, I look unto the hills. And, I tr- and when my eyes are getting down, I do this. I say, keep it, keep there. Look unto the hills. From whence cometh your help? Mm. Why? Because I am confident in the provident and wisdom of God. Throughout my life, I have seen God work in little ways and in big ways. And then I remind myself many times of God's working in Israel. I love watching God and Israel. And I can't point a finger at Israel in its its miserable failure. Because it was a difficult situation for mm. them. But I see the providence of God. And that encourages me. And I try hard to nourish my faith in the word. I read it. when, I, when Sometimes my mind is so troubled, I cannot focus. So I thank God for technology. And I just listen to the word. I go to YouTube. And I listen to the word because I can't read and the, the, the printed word. So I try to keep my mind fed on the word of God.
0: Thank you, Maida. Uh, one time you told me, we were talking, and you said, you, you quoted Paul's words when he said that nothing, really, no, nothing else matters except Christ and him crucified. And one thing I wanted you to speak about before we kind of wrap up this short piece is you know, how, how do we worship in the middle of, of our crisis, in the middle of trouble? How do we, how do we, how do we worship in those times?
1: The, the, the first part of the question is Christ and Him crucified. Why that matters to me. I grew up, like I said, in a movement that is exclusive, so to speak. And so there was a time when I was, there, there were lots of denominations, and, and people say these denominations seem to compete with each other. And then my mind went back to First Corinthians, where the believers, Paul said, you're saying I'm Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Christ. And that seemed so arrogant mm-hmm. to Paul. And so I was missing out on the joy of loving, loving believers from whichever denominations as long as they had Christ. And sometimes I would look at a person and maybe think something of them that wasn't right. And so I loved that from Paul. He was not there because of their intellectual knowledge or their riches or whatever. He was there because of Christ and him crucified. And he wanted to be there to see them. He will be with them until this Christ is born in them. And so I, this is my goal in life. Have I achieved it? That I love each believer regardless of their estate. As Christ would love the church. The second part of the question, how do I worship mm-hmm. in difficulty? Knowing God. The believer must know God. Jesus said, "Life, eternal life is knowing God. Do I know God? Do I really believe that He? Is the Almighty, and if I may close by saying, my hero, one of my heroes in Scripture is Naomi, mm-hmm. the mother of Ruth. Na- Naomi had gone through difficulties that no woman, no human, should go through, mm-hmm. and she went back to Jerusalem or Judah, and there she is, and she's met by her people, and she said. Call me not Naomi, but call me Mara, for the Almighty had done this to me. And what impacted me was not her bitterness, but her recognition of who had done it. The Almighty, him that can take and give. And we need to recognize that God is God regardless of how he chooses to work in our lives and that is what impacted me because Naomi embraced her issues embraced the emotions in her life but she recognized the omnipotent God he is God and he deserves her worship and
0: praise. Thank you, Mayetta. Uh, you may or may not know Mayetta's whole story, and we don't have time to share it this morning, but I would like for us, if it's okay, to pray with you, um, just as a, as a faith family here. And I'd like to ask you to, to join me in prayer as we go before God, uh, because there are some things in your own life that are a struggle right now, and we want to keep giving those to God and asking for His help and His hope and His healing. So, yeah, let's... If you would, let's pray. Father God, we want to come before you uh, in humility and faith, and believing that you are who you say you are and you can do all things. And God, I want, to, I want to thank you for Mayetta and for her faith and for her journey and for her willingness to stand before this church and to share her hope in your son Jesus. God, we're, we're claiming that hope and we're just praying that you would, um, you would work in her life and her situation. God, that you would work in all of our lives and our situations when... We're going through a difficult season. Uh, We're facing a current crisis. And the God, you would give us help and hope. And so, God, I just want to pray that today for Mayetta. Uh, God, would you enter into her story? And would you be the author and would you work all things out for her good and for your ultimate glory? God, this is our prayer through Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mayetta. If you would, let's thank Mayetta one more time. I think it's an important question for us to ask and talk about. Um, What do we do and how do we as followers of Jesus and believers in God um, have faith in Him and worship Him uh, when, when things are not going the way they were supposed to go? in all of our lives we have these moments where maybe things were going one way and things were going well and there was a sense of security and safety then something changed something happened and that was gone and if you've ever experienced that then you know what it feels like to be in one of those in between or to be continued moments in your life the other night uh, my son will was watching the last uh harry potter movie in the series of harry potter movies he's been reading each book and then watching the the movie as he did that and and it was getting late. It was time for dinner. And I had to do something I didn't want to do. Uh, Harry Potter was walking into the woods. And I had to say, hey, we'll pause the movie. Um, it's going to be continued. But we've got to do this before you can finish that. He did get to watch the rest of the movie the next day. But it was one of those to be continued moments. And it was one of the worst possible moments to stop the movie. And some of you, you know what this is like. Your life is like that, right? You're, you're in that to be continued moment. In that in-between moment where you don't know what's going to happen next, and having to wait to find out is just about to kill you. But what, what happens, what happens is it's in those to-be-continued moments, it's in those in-between moments that the source of our faith is revealed, and that's what happens in the, the story I want us to look at today. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, if you want to open that up to Acts 16, Acts is, is, a, is the story of the church. It's the story of what happened after Jesus returned to heaven and, and his first followers were trying to figure out how to do life. And, and there's a couple of guys by the name of Paul and Silas, and they're on a mission trip, just like our teenagers were. And they're in a city called Philippi, and they've already seen what we would call success. They've seen people come to faith in Jesus. But then this is what happens in Luke 16, and we'll start in verse 16. It says one day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future, and she earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Now, I'll admit, this is a bit of a strange story, right? This is a story of a demon-possessed girl following and heckling two first-century missionaries who were trying to go to this town who hasn't heard about Jesus and tell them about Jesus. And you would think that in some ways she was doing them a favor because they're shouting out, hey, these two guys, they're servants of the Most High God. And while she wasn't wrong, the problem was that there were lots of gods who we went by the title of Most High God. One of the most prominent was one that you may know named Zeus. And for Paul and Silas who were walking around the town of Philippi trying to tell people about the one true God, about Jesus Christ, this would be very confusing. And Paul was getting really annoyed and quite frustrated. So here's what happens next. Verse 18. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And guess what? Instantly it left her. Now, for me, I just find this amazing. And and this isn't the message today, but a quick time out. I think it's amazing that the Holy Spirit within Paul was so much more powerful than the evil or unholy spirit within this poor, possessed, slave girl. So don't ever underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Verse 19. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city was in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They're teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. Well, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten. And then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Now just pause and think about what's going on. I know that our team just got back from a mission trip, but I don't think they experienced anything like this, right? Here Paul and Silas came in. They've already had some success on the mission trip in this town called Philippi where they've seen people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're being heckled by a demon-possessed girl and they decide to cast this demon out. And I have to believe there's probably two reasons for this. One is, yes, it was truly disrupting the mission that they were on. But also, I can't not believe that Paul and Silas didn't have some measure of compassion on this poor girl, someone's daughter, who is literally possessed By an evil spirit. And and, and I wonder if this girl, somehow inside of her, if she's not thinking, if I can follow these guys long enough, maybe they'll help me. I do find it incredibly ironic that this demon who was known for being able to tell the future didn't know what was going to happen to him. But Paul and Silas set her free, deliver her, but because it was going to mean less money for her former masters. They have Paul and Silas literally stripped, literally beaten with rods. Their backs are bloodied, thrown into the innermost part of a maximum security prison where their hands are shackled to the wall and their feet are put in stocks. And it's at this point in the story that it's an in-between moment, isn't it? It's a to-be-continued moment. Like, we don't know what's going to happen next. And it begs the question, what do you do? What do you do and to be continued in between moments of your life. What do you do when it seems like all hope is lost? What do you do when you don't know what's going to happen next? What do you do? What do you do when you're asking the question, where are you, God? What do you do when you look around and you're like, this is not what we thought was going to happen? What do you do? I want you to see what Paul and Silas do. Around midnight, Paul and Silas... In a maximum, maximum security prison, back, black, backs bloodied, beaten to a pulp, hands shackled, feet in stocks, were praying and singing to God. And the other prisoners were listening. In the middle of the night, with no hope in sight, Paul and Silas were worshiping. Wow. And the other prisoners were listening. And it made me think you know, when the world around us sees us worship in the middle of our pain, they wonder. They have to wonder what's different about these people. What do they know that I don't know? What do they have that I don't have? Paul and Silas, in the middle of their pain, in the middle of the prison, were in worship. So what if the truest thing about you was that in spite of your circumstances, despite your circumstances, you still gave God your worship? What if the truest thing about you and me is people who believe in God and follow Jesus was that even in the middle of the darkness, even in the middle of those in-between seasons, even though maybe you're between jobs or you've got more bills than you can pay or you're still waiting for the test results to come back or you don't know what's going to happen with your kids or your relationship is falling apart or the world is spinning out of control or you fill in the blank when you don't know what's going to happen next and it feels like everything is out of control around you and you don't know what's around the next corner, and you've got more questions than you have answers, what if the, the truest thing about you and me is that even in the middle of that kind of uncertainty, we still gave God our worship? Most of you probably know the story of Cory Ten Boom. Because her and her family tried to help Jews escape from Nazi oppression in the Holocaust, she herself spent time in a Nazi concentration camp. And I want you to hear what, what she wrote. She said, I've experienced his presence, God's presence, in the deepest, darkest hell that men can create. I have tested the promises of the Bible, and believe me, you can count on them. I think Coryton Boom knew the exact same thing that Paul and Silas knew. And it's the same thing that I want you and I to know. And it's the whole reason I'm here today is to tell you this. That there is something powerful about you giving God your worship in spite of your circumstances. There is something powerful about you giving God your worship. It, it, it proclaims and it declares who our faith is in and where our help comes from. It's like Mayetta said, her story is our story, that when we're in the middle of the darkest night, that we can, yes, Psalm 121, look up to the hills because we know where our help comes from. There's something powerful that happens when you and I still give God our worship in the middle of, of our darkness, in the middle of our uncertainty, in the middle of the unknown, there's something powerful that happens. There's something that changes in us and changes around us. And maybe what the world needs now is to see the church. It needs to see people who believe in God and who are followers of Jesus, despite the uncertainty in the world around us, despite everything that's going on around us, to be responding to God in full on praise because we know that that is where our hope and our help comes from. Church, if you would, let's, let's stand together. There is more to the story. If you keep reading what happens with Paul and Silas that night, Well, it's in verse 26. It says, Suddenly, suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations, and all the doors immediately flew open. And the chains of every prisoner Fell off. Now, I don't know about you, but earthquakes don't normally do this. Earthquakes make things fall. They trap people in places like dungeons. They're not known for, for making handcuffs come off and stocks fall off your feet and cell doors swing wide open, but this earthquake did. This earthquake did. And when that happened, the Roman jailer that night looked over at Paul and Silas and the other prisoners who were now miraculously set free and he was about to fall on his own sword and kill himself because he knew if they escaped then he would die and he was going to leave his wife a widow and his children fatherless but Paul and Silas who had earlier had compassion on this demon possessed slave girl now looked at this Roman soldier and had compassion on him they said no 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 we're all here don't do that and that night what do you think 2 a.m. at this point, maybe 3 in the morning. The jailer takes Paul and Silas to his house, wakes up his family. They cook food, they wash the wounds of these two men. Paul and Silas share the gospel with this jailer. And then we read that that same night, maybe at this point it's early in the morning, the jailer and his entire family are baptized. And they become believers in Jesus. Why? Why? Because just a few hours ago, around midnight, that jailer heard these two believers in Jesus, backs bloodied, face full of sweat, dried tears, hands shackled, feet in stocks, worshiping Jesus. And he knew their worship was real. And because he knew their worship was real, he believed their God is real, and when what people hear from you and me when we're in the middle of our lowest point when what they hear is worship it always has an impact it always has an impact so what if the truest thing about you and me was that in the middle of our darkest moment that we gave God our worship what could that lead to this is us this is who we are we're just real people we have real problems, but we believe in a real God. And in the middle of our darkest night, may it be said of us that we respond in worship. This morning, if, if you are in the middle of the unknown right now, if you're in one of those to be continued in between moments of your life, I want to ask our elders and their wives, our shepherds and their wives to be around the room for you to pray with them and they would love to pray with you and they don't have the answers but they would love to usher you into the presence of Jesus. They would love to encourage you and pray with you and and let you know that you are not alone. And if by some chance you're here this morning and you're like that jailer, you have never been baptized, never never made Jesus your Lord and Savior. I hope as you hear our worship in the room this morning as we sing in just a moment that you would also be encouraged. Be encouraged to follow the same Jesus that we claim to know and love. And if you want to be baptized, you can come find me. I'll be right over here. You can find one of our shepherds as well. They would love to talk with you about that. We would love to see you this morning. Make that same confession of faith that Jesus is who he says he is. And he cares deeply for you too. Let's sing.